Today is Young Communicators Weekend. We do this once a year, and we, we lift up and, and uh, just empower young communicators who are starting out in their speaking and, and they're, they're, they're maybe have a call of God on their life to do that. And today's the day. We have seven different speakers across our campuses speaking at different services. And in this service, you have a young man that I'm so excited for you to get to hear him speak. This is Jaron Potter. Now, Jaron's going to come up in just a minute. He is a, a, a freshman in college and or I guess he might be about to be a sophomore. But anyways, first year in college, and uh, he's been serving with our student ministry here. Now, in full disclosure, Jaron is my nephew, all right? And uh, he's, you guys know Kip, right? The campus pastor here. Kip and Cheryl are away on a, a trip to uh, Israel with a big team from the church and just really gives me freedom to say whatever I want to say about Jaron, you know? Because uh, what they've always said about Jaron is, that he looks like his daddy, but he acts like his uncle. And, and, and see what that is because they think that Jaron and I uh, are a little bit cocky. We think it's confidence, right? I mean, they think that Jaron and I think we know everything, but Jaron and I just randomly happen to be at the right place where needed information happens all the time. And, and so, um, you know, all of a sudden, Jaron starts preaching, and he's great at it. Man, he's bold, and he's confident. And then they want to say, well, look at there. He's a chip off the old block, just like his daddy. I'm like, wait a minute. What about for the 18 years before this when he was just like his arrogant uncle, you know? So uh, I, I'm going to just take all credit for anything Jaron does good. If he gets lost or confused, that's on his dad, of course. Uh, but no, for real, I want you to be very encouraging and uplifting. We've asked this for all of our young communicators. They don't come every weekend. This is not something that they do week in and week out, but they've been pouring their heart into the scripture and they're giving their very best. So I need you to smile more for him than you do for me. I'm a pro. I can take it when you sit back there like this. Don't do that for Jaron. Okay. And if he says something good, give him a hand, let him know that you're behind him all the way. In fact, let's start right now. Come on, give a big hand to Jaron as he comes up. Thank you. Thank you, Uncle Jerry. I wasn't going to tell y'all he was my uncle, but I guess he told you anyway. So yes, he is my uncle. And I just want to take a moment to thank him, uh, Aunt Leslie, uh, the whole family, uh, just for giving us life every week. Can we just give it up for them just real quick, guys? Thank you guys for all you do. You guys are great, a great influence on me, one of the best influences in my life. I've got about four great influences, and he is at the top for sure. Um, so it's just great uh, that I get to get mentorship from y'all, and I love y'all. Um, yeah, so if you don't recognize me, that's okay. Your uh, teenagers may recognize me because I do work in the student ministry. I'm a pastoral assistant uh, for just about over a year. Uh, so I've spoken to them a good bit. Uh, this is actually my second time um, speaking on a Sunday. Last year, I spoke at the bigger 945, so I don't really know what, uh, what happened. I don't know why I got demoted, but here I am. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm really excited about being here. Um, I was pumped when I got told I was at the 1115 because these are my people, the people who like to sleep in just a little bit longer, uh, get a little bit more sleep, but still get the word. So you guys are my favorite for sure. So uh, yeah, like you said, my family is, uh, and you can go ahead and throw that picture up, Kip Potter and Cheryl Potter, they are my parents. And uh, man, I miss my mustache, right? That thing looked good. Anyways, KJ is my brother to the right, has a better mustache than me, looks, looks just like a cop. Uh, Lana is the younger one, and Kylie is the older one. Lana's here. Uh, I'm not sure where Kylie is. She didn't want to join us, but um, yeah, so that's my family. Uh, I love them. 
And like he said, uh, my parents are away at Israel right now, so I keep praying for them. I know that they're experiencing something super cool, uh, really, really cool. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get started. So a couple weeks ago, I was actually talking to Aunt Leslie, and uh, we were because we both knew that we were going to be speaking, so I asked her if she knew what she was going to be speaking about yet, and she said, well, um, I feel like I was going to speak about purpose, but um, I feel like everybody's speaking about purpose right now, so maybe I won't speak about purpose. She said, do you know what you're speaking about? I said, purpose. Yeah, so I am going to be talking to you guys about purpose, and because I believe it's more crucial now. We are at a more crucial moment than ever in history where we need to know what we're here for. We need to know what we were put on earth to do. We need to know the good things that God has called us to do, not just to live out our life as a good person, but really dive into the word and know the things that we are supposed to do. So this message is for everybody. It's for if you don't know your purpose, that's okay, because we still know what God has called us to do and the good things that he has called us to do. If you do know your purpose and you've been living it out for 60 years, that's great, because this is still going to be applicable to your life, because I'm calling this message, peace, or excuse me, purpose under pressure. It's called purpose under pressure. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down because I want you guys to know what I'm talking about today, and that's purpose under pressure because it's so easy when we're fired up about God. It's so easy when we're diving into the word every day to do the things that he has called us to do. When we hear that big thing, when we have that big moment with God, it is so easy to carry that out, but what's difficult is living it out when you don't want to, when you're living it out when you get up and you hate yourself. Living it out when you're going back to that job that you don't like, with the boss you don't like, doing the things that God has called you to do, that's when it's difficult. So I hope that I can prepare you guys to sustain the purpose that God has called you, to live out the purpose that God has called you, not just get fired up and then lose it. And this is really for everybody. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you guys a story. I'm going to give you a couple bullet points, and I'm going to get you out of here in time for the shrimp basket. Does that sound good for everybody? All right, let's get started. So if you're following along, uh, I will be in Daniel 3. I'm going to be reading in Daniel 3, and I'm going to read a story about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Jewish boys. And there is so much purpose, there's so much reality, there's so much strength in these three boys. I love this story. I've read it, I don't know how many times, but the last time I read it, I just felt like there was so much in it that I need to get through to you guys. So that's where I'm going to be at, Daniel 3. So let's go ahead and get started. Daniel 3, 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up in the plain of Dura and the providence of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the providential officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So basically, King Nebuchadnezzar made a big statue of himself, says, hey, listen, everybody, let's come look at this thing, have a party. So number uh, verse 4 says, then Harold shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And of course, we know, just like I said earlier, that there were three boys who decided, you know what, that's not what God called me to. That's not what God said for me to do. I'm going to listen to what he said over what the king said. And so they didn't. They didn't bow. And so basically, they get brought in before the king, and it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue. I love how he didn't even give them a chance to answer. He was like, Is this true? I will give you one more chance. This sounds like a lot of parents, doesn't it? Did you do this? I'm going to give you one more chance to say the right thing. Anyway, anyways, 
whatever. I'm a kid, so I get to say stuff like that. So is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and, and worship the statue I've made. And when you hear the sound of the musical entrance, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the burnt, blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? I'm getting fired up already. This is going to be good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you that we will never worship your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. I'm going to pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us. God, I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to be able to speak to your people. God, I don't want to take that for granted. God, I just pray that you open our hearts and minds and that we are able to receive your word and that the Holy Spirit touches lives today. We love you and we thank you in your holy name. And everybody said, all right. So I believe that there are two big things that we need to take from this story. I believe that there are two things that the, the, uh, the boys carried themselves with or, three, or two reasons that they were able to do the things that God called them to do because we know that God called them to live a life that was different than what everybody else was doing. And if, I think it's interesting that there were, I don't know how many Jewish boys, but only three decided that they weren't gonna worship. Only, only, I mean, maybe there were more, there wasn't talked about anymore, but there was just three Jewish boys that decided that they were not gonna do what everybody else did. And so I believe that there were two big reasons for this. And the, I think that it's really interesting that this is a really cool point that God used three people in this story. He used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But throughout the whole story, they didn't say different things. They didn't act different ways. It, like all their lines just came from them. Like it wasn't like Shadrach said this, Meshach said this, Abednego did this. It never did that. So what was the point of using three people? What was the point of using those three people if God could have done the same thing just with one? I believe that God was trying to show us community. I believe that God was showing us the importance of having people around you that are going to push you towards your purpose instead of delaying you from it. So my first point is that purpose is, purpose is guarded by community. If you're taking notes, write that down. Your purpose is guarded by your community. So... A little bit about me, at the beginning of the, uh, so like January, beginning of the year, I'd been praying, we had been in 21 days of uh, a prayer, and I'd been praying, God, just give me a word, just give me one thing that I can hang on to, something that I can hold on to for this year, something that is going to help me change my life in this year, just give me a word. And every time, it seemed like every time I started praying, I didn't know what it was, I didn't know why, I didn't know what it meant, but the word open would come to my mind, the word open. I would immediately, when I would start praying, I would say, God, open my heart, open my mind, open my soul, open my spirit to what you want. And I didn't know why. It wasn't something that I was, I was trying to do. It was just the first thing that came to my mind was, God, help me to be open. And I had no clue what that meant. For months, I had no clue what that meant. And then I realized that maybe there was something that I wasn't being honest about. Maybe there was something that I was holding in. Maybe there was something that I was closed about that I needed to be open, needed to be real, needed to be honest with somebody. We need to be honest with people around us. And so what I did was I got two of my best friends who I know were going to have the best for me. Not just people who, you know, just like hanging out with me. People who are going to tell me what I want. That's not what I, that's not what I did. I got two people who I knew had my back, were listening to God's word. And I said, guys, listen, I sat them down. I said, listen, I don't know what it is. 
I feel like I'm supposed to be honest with you guys. So I just laid everything out to them. I was like, these are the things I'm dealing with. This is what I'm struggling with right now. These are the things that, uh, that I've never told anybody, but these are the things that I'm dealing with. So can you guys pray for me? And immediately things started changing. Immediately things started helping. Things that, that, that I was struggling with got a little bit easier. I had people watching my back. And this is what I want to emphasize to you, the importance of this, the importance of finding godly community. So I'm talking about, I want to talk to you guys about the people who really know you. Not like the Facebook you, not, not the football player you, not the school you, not the work you, but the real, the real you. Not the Instagram filtered you, but the real, the 4 a.m. you, right? The you that when you're mad you. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody's like, oh no, not that me. Yeah, that you. Who are those people that really, really know you and people who know the things that you're struggling with? Who in your life has the sit down, shut up card? You know, who are those people who are like, hey, listen, man, this is what this is what you need to hear. These are the things I need to hear. We need to find those people who are going to be straight up honest with us. And we're still going to be friends when it's over. We're still going to be able to be in community when it's over because we're not going to have our feelings hurt too bad because the truth is that everybody here, every human on the face of the earth has blind spots. They have things that they don't see. They have realities in them that they didn't know that they had. They have bad things, good things, everything inside of them, and they didn't know that they had all of these things. So we need people checking those, those blind spots, telling us, the, speaking life into us, even if we don't want to hear it. We need those people. So who can you call, even if it's inconvenient for them? even if they don't want necessarily to have your call right now? Who, who are those people that we can call that they're still going to pick up the phone? They're still going to listen to us. They're still going to tell us life. They're still going to be able to speak into us, and then they're still going to be able to pray for us, and we're still going to be good afterwards. Who are those people? Do you have any of those people? Because I look around at a lot of Christians today, especially in our youth ministry, and we just don't have people who have that. We just don't have people always speaking life, always praying for us. We just don't have those people. And I know I didn't even have it. I mean, I had grown up in a great family. I'd been in a church uh, for, since I was born. My dad was always in, working in a church. But, I, but still, I didn't have that, that inner circle of godly community who was always speaking life into me until just recently. And I know the importance of it because I went 18 years without it. And I know that it's really important. Don't get me wrong, though. It's, uh, we all have friends. We all have people that we go hang out with. But how many of those friends are actually delaying our purpose instead of fulfilling it? How many of those people are actually delaying us from what, from what God called us to instead of pushing us towards what God called us to? Michael Todd, who is a great uh, preacher, one of my, absolutely one of my favorites besides my family, um, of course, is he, he talks about relationships um, not just, not just, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, but all relationships as a roller coaster. He calls them a roller coaster. And one thing he said is that some people are not worth getting on the ride with. They're just not. Some people who we know are just going to be hurting and just delaying our purpose and telling us things we don't want to hear. Because we all have friends. Some of our friends are just crazy. You know what I'm talking about. We all have that crazy friend who is down to do whatever we are doing, right? Oh, he just broke up with me. Let's go set his car on fire. Let me get my blowtorch and we'll get this thing going, right? Let's make a Molotov cocktail, you know? We have those friends who would rather act out of their feelings than out of their faith, you know? We all have those kind of friends, so those are not the people we need influencing us. We need to have two or three close-knit people 
who we know are hearing from God and acting out of their faith and would rather tell us the things that we need to hear instead of the things that we want to hear. So all this sounds great, but I want to tell you that this isn't going to be easy, that God never called for this to be easy. In fact, he knew it was going to be difficult. He knew it was going to be challenging. We think since we are Christians and we're getting a community with other Christians that it's going to be easy, you know, because we're all perfect, right? If I'm a Christian, I'm perfect, right? No, because godly community is made up of godly relationships, and godly relationships are made up of regular people with regular problems. You know, everybody's got problems. Nobody's going to be perfect, so this is going to be difficult. But a lot of people give up on it way too early. A lot of people go to a church and then never go back because they think that they're too hypocritical there. They're too, they're too judgmental there. But the thing is that whatever you church you go to is not perfect anymore because we're all, we've all got problems. Nobody's perfect. Every church is going to be uh, difficult to get along with at first. But the point is that people, too many people just give up because they have been hurt. Or they give up because they've seen, they've tried it and it didn't go the way that they wanted to. They didn't go the way that they thought it was going to go. So they just gave up on it. But God said, listen, it's not going to be easy, but it is going to be vital. It's going to be crucial. He said more than anything, we need community and people around us. And now I know what you're thinking, Elizabeth, it sounds great. Um, It's not going to be easy. I get it. I need it. But is it absolutely essential? Because some people just aren't people person, Right? Some people just don't like people that way. Can I suggest to you that maybe the problem you have with people isn't with people. It's with the creator. Because even God had community. I want to tell you something. So before you were born, before the chair you're sitting in was made, before America was a country, before the pyramids were made, before the earth was a planet, there was community. And I can prove it to you because there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're probably thinking, why? You know, why did God have community? He didn't need it. He's God. He's perfect. He didn't need community. He wanted to show even God needs community. We need community. We need those people watching our backs. And a really interesting thing, I I read this and it blew my mind. So God made everything in seven days, right? Made all the birds, made all the people, made all the uh, the water, the, the night, the day, the sun, the stars. And what did he say about all of it? He called it good. He said, this is good. I made the people, they're good. I made the plants, they're good. I made the animals, they're good. I made the sun, the stars, it's good. The first thing in the whole Bible he says is not good. We can find in Genesis 2.18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. The very first thing that God made, that was, well, he didn't make it, but the very first thing that was present, that was not good, was for man to be alone. You need community. You need those people watching your back. Even Jesus had community. Even Jesus had community. He was perfect. If anybody on this earth could have went through life and had been more effective without people holding him down, it would have been Jesus. But even he knew that he needed those people around him. And we know he had the 12 disciples, but did you also know he had even a closer group of Peter, James, and John? He even had that smaller group that was watching his back that he would tell everything to, that, he would know, that he would, they would know when he was struggling. They knew when he was pooping regular. They knew him that well. Those people need, you need those people in your lives. You, you weren't ready for that one. I was being serious, and then I went to poop real fast. Yeah, you got to stay on your toes with me. But the point was that God was wanting to show, Jesus was wanting to show that if perfect could mix with imperfect, then imperfect is going to be able to mix with imperfect. We are going to be able to mix with imperfect. We, we are because we need that inner circle. 
So if God was supposed to rescue the whole world, if he had one job on this earth, to rescue everybody, then what's your excuse for not having community, man? Like, like what's your excuse? If, if, if even God had an inner circle, then can you name your inner circle? And that's not hypothetical. I don't want you to think about, you know, the hypotheticalness of that. I want you to really think, can you name the people that know everything about you? Can you name the people who have always got your back, who are always continuing to pray for you? Can you do that? Some of you are thinking, well, yeah, you know, Jackson. Well, if you haven't talked to Jackson in six months, not your inner circle, man. You know, what about my sister? You know, I, t- I tell her everything. But, but are you still lying to her? If you're still lying to her, you can't be in community with her. You can't have community with lies. Some of us are so fake with our absolute best friends. You know, like, oh, they're my bestie. You know, I love them. I'll do anything for them. But, but you're lying to them. And you don't want them to know that the reason you keep them that close is really so you can one-up them, right? Some of us are so fake with our absolute best friends, and it hurts, man, because that's not our community. That's not what God wanted for community. So it's, and maybe it's time for us to reevaluate our godly community because this is God's plan for us. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one falls, the other can help and reach out. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. This is what the enemy wants for you. He wants you to stay isolated. Because uh, how does a lion hunt? He isolates the weakest, right? When you are isolated, when you are alone, then the devil knows he's got you right where he wants you. If you have those people around you, you can't be like that. But how can you be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back can conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I want you guys to see this right now, because if I'm alone, I can be defeated. But if I have somebody who's back-to-back with me, and who is thicker than me, and probably benches twice as much as me, if I've got somebody back-to-back with me, then he can see the things that I don't see, right? And if we've got to turn because the enemy's coming, that's okay, because he's got my back. He sees the blind spots that I don't see, because I've got somebody who's got my back, right? Check it. But too many of us want to stand face to face, right? And I want to tell you all my problems, and this is how I'm feeling, and, you know, this is what he did to me, and this is what. But God says, no, 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 stop talking so much, get back to back, because this is where power comes from. This is where your power is going to come from, because I am not blind to the things that he can see. So now I'd be like, am I dealing out of pride? Am I missing the things that you wanted me to see? Am I becoming money hungry because he can see those things when we're back to back? And it's not about us seeing eye to eye on everything. Do you get that? It's not about us seeing eye to eye. It's about getting back to back and protecting each other. Thank you, AJ. That's, that's what God wants for us in our community. In order to fulfill your purpose, you have to have community because your purpose is guarded by your community. And that's the first thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had was purpose. They had community and it guarded their purpose. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is that purpose is affirmed by humility and swagger. (laughs) And I know what you're thinking. Jaron, do you know what those words mean? They have nothing to do with each other. And I think that's because we have the wrong picture of what swagger and humility are. I found a great, um, what's it called? Uh, definition for what swagger is, and it goes like this. Swagger is to move with confidence, sophistication, and cool. Swagger is to conduct yourself in a way that would automatically earn respect. If you still can't get a mental picture, check out the screen real quick. What's up? 
That's swagger right there, all right? Young men, take notes. Swagger. But yeah, so swagger is to conduct yourself in a way that would automatically earn respect. It's not an arrogance. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about being arrogant, being better than everybody. I'm talking about carrying, carrying yourself with the confidence. And it's actually funny that uh, Jerry talked about how confident we are because I'm getting to prove it today. So you guys are welcome. But um, yeah, so swagger is sophistication, confidence. It's to conduct yourself in a way that would automatically earn respect. And this is what the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They carried themselves, everything they said. They weren't scared of the king. They weren't scared of the people who were binding them up, throwing them in the fire. They weren't scared of that because they knew that they had a confidence in somebody higher. And now this is the world's view of humility. And this is the Webster's Dictionary. This is, in a sense, the law of what humility is for people. Humility is a modest or low view of one's importance. But can I suggest that maybe we've got that all twisted? It says that it's a low view of one's importance. But if you look in the Bible, it never talks about humility that way. And I'm going to prove it to you. Actually, C.S. Lewis talks about humility this way. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not diminishing your importance. It's thinking about yourself less. My dad calls it a quiet confidence. That's what he calls humility. But everywhere we look in the Bible, we only see what real humility is. And so I'm going to read you a few verses. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and restore their land. Psalms 25.9 says, He leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his ways. Psalms 18.27 says, You rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God oppresses the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves in a way, under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you, on, he will lift you up in honor. See, the, the earth's view of humility, of humility is always going to be associated with weakness. In the world that we live today, if you don't have this confidence about you, if you find yourself being humble to others, they're automatically taking that as weakness from you, right? That's just the world we live in. But, but the beautiful thing is that the truth about humility is that true humility to God's will, to God's purpose, not to people, not a humility to people, but a humility to God and his purpose is real power. It is real power. It has nothing to do with weakness. It is actually a confidence to saying that, you know what? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what I do because the God I serve will do what he wants to do. That's the humility that we need to carry ourselves with. Not this weakness, but a humility to God and his purpose. Luke 14 and 11 says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I want to stop right there and let you think about that for a second. It says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Because in the story that we're reading about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the king Nebuchadnezzar, we are either one of two people. We are either the boys in this story, or we're the king. I want you to look at everything the king does. First thing he does, creates a statue of himself that quite honestly probably looked better than he did, right? 
It's called a Snapchat filter for a statue, right? And the crazy thing was that at the time, um, most kings would only create the head or the face of the statue in gold, but he created the whole thing, 90 feet by nine feet in gold, which was unheard of. Why he do this? He's always exalting himself. We're either exalting ourselves or we will get exalted later. We're either getting exalted now and getting humbled later, or we are humbling ourselves now to God and his purposes, and we will be exalted later. And you have to ask, who are you right now? Because everything that the king did was to build himself up. So if I go on your social media right now, am I going to see more pictures of you with a Snapchat filter and your hair done right and all of that stuff? Or am I going to see something that's exalting God? And I'm not telling you to change your social media. I don't care about that. God doesn't care about that. But what I am saying is that it's a mentality that if we are so busy exalting ourselves right now that we will only be humbled later. And this shows in the story. Because the, guy, the, the, uh, the boys were, were humbled to what, to what God wanted and they were humbled to his will and they said that they weren't gonna do the things that people asked, they were actually exalted later because the boys had absolutely nothing to prove to people. They had absolutely nothing to prove to the king. They had nothing to prove to the people around them. They had nothing to prove to their friends who were around them. They had nothing to prove to people because it didn't matter to them. They had a confidence in who their God was. And that's where we need to be. I'm gonna continue to read the story. It says, Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. For if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, God knows the things that we need. He knows what we've been asking for. He knows what we've been praying for. He knows that we are critically in debt. He knows that we can't afford to eat. He knows that our, that our kids are going nuts. He knows that we can't get into the college we want and he knows he can fix it. But he's waiting for you to say, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't show up, even if he doesn't show up, even if your only purpose in this life was to die, having never got the promotion you deserved, have never changed the person's life that you wanted to, even if your only job was to do his will and then die, still are you gonna worship him? Still are you gonna lift him up? Still are you gonna do the things that he has asked you to do? Still are you gonna fulfill your purpose? Even if you never get the promotion, are you still gonna do the things that he wants? That's what he's waiting for. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Verse 19 goes on to say, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times harder than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. At this moment, they were probably reviewing everything that they had done, asking themselves, you know, was this really worth it? Was me standing up 
really worth it. They probably went through everything else that they could have done. You know, we could have just bowed down, but not really worshiped. You know, just because I worship this idol one time doesn't make me an idol worshiper. You know, the, the God, the, the king is, is the ruler here and God will understand if I just follow him this one time. You know, what, what good am I if I'm dead? What good am I if I'm dead? What good can I do for God if I'm dead? I could have done anything to keep myself alive, but they didn't do any of that. And can you imagine the, the emotion here that must have been in, inside of them? God, we did everything you asked. We did everything you asked us to do. We spoke out for you. We stood up for you. We decided we weren't gonna do what everybody else did. We did everything you asked and still we're just gonna die here. Still, we're just gonna die here. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and explained to his advisors, didn't we tie three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, said Nebuchadnezzar, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. What I want you to understand is that the flames purify you. The flames are where you want to be. You want to be in those hardship moments. You want to be where nobody else is with you, and it's just going to be you and God because that's where he is. He is in the middle of the flame. He is in the middle of your hardship. Everything that you're going through that you think doesn't look like there's an end to it. Everything that you go through that you say, God, I don't deserve this. I deserve to be in a better spot. That's where God wants you because it's just you and him there. He wants you right in the middle of those flames. Your purpose was never to be a good man who just got into heaven. Your purpose was to bring heaven down. Your purpose was never just to get your kids through high school, maybe hopefully get them off to college. Your purpose was to get them to heaven, man. Your purpose was never just to go through high school, you know, just get, it, get out of high school and then go to college and just do the right things. Your purpose was to change your high school. But too many of us are just scared of the fire, man, and we don't wanna go. But that's where our God is. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing wasn't scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Hear this, there is no other God who can save like this. Nebuchadnezzar went from a point of saying that what God is gonna save you from my power to a point of saying that there is no other God who can rescue like this. Who are you, man? Are you, are you gonna be Nebuchadnezzar or are you gonna be the boys here? Are you gonna lift yourself up or are you gonna be humble to what God wants? Hear this. The three boys walked into the fire having community and humility. That was the only thing that they had. They only had community, they had each other and they had humility to God's will. They didn't have an end plan. They didn't have a goal. They didn't have an escape plan. Their, their plan was to die here. They had community and humility, but they walked out of the fire with divinity, 
clarity, serenity, transparency, authority, fire, immunity, and ultimately victory all inside of the fire that was supposed to kill them. They walked out of that fire with anything more that they had before. I'm gonna end it right here. Second Corinthians 12, nine through 10 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am more content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, prosecutions, calamities, when my kids are going nuts and I can't get them to school, when I'm yelling at my wife because I can't handle the things that she's saying to me, when we can't afford to eat the next day or put gas in our car, I am more happy to boast about those things because it is in that weakness, it is in our weaknesses that we are actually the strongest. We actually have the most security, the most boldness, the most God inside of us in the places where we can't even stand. Give God some praise if that's you, man.